morning, everybody. It's great to be here with y'all. My name's Tim Greeno. I'm one of the pastors here at Walnut Creek. And uh, if you're newer with us, I want to say welcome to you. It's great to have you worshiping alongside us this morning. Uh, maybe you were invited by a friend or coworker or family member. And uh, however you found your way in here, we want to say welcome. It's great to have you. If you have, you know, maybe if it's your first time to church, maybe uh, it's been a long time since you've been to church. And if you have any questions about Christ or about the church itself, we would love to answer those for you. That's what we're here for. So um, definitely don't be a stranger. Say hello to some people this morning. Uh, get to know a few folks. And this morning we're going to be continuing our study together in the book of Genesis. And if you've got a Bible with you, I would encourage you to get it out, open it up. We're in Genesis chapter 12 this morning. And we're going to be opening up with this, this epic opening scene to the journey that God has called Abraham on. Last week we got introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 11. We saw who he is, where he comes from, and now this is like the opening scene, scene one of this epic journey that Abraham and his family are going to be on. And, and we're going to be in this journey for several months together in the book of Genesis. But I've been reading at home, I've been reading through the book The Hobbit with my kids uh, before bed, maybe some of you guys are familiar with that story, but if you know the story, you know there's this little hobbit with hairy feet by the name of Bilbo Baggins. Great name, classic name. And as we get into this Romans 12, this opening scene, this epic journey, I've been thinking this week about how it reminds me a lot of The Hobbit and the wizard Gandalf. He comes and he, he calls, he chooses really the last person that you would anticipate to call onto this epic journey that he's about to embark on. And, and that's what we have in Abraham. Last week in, in Genesis 11, you know, we, we shouldn't be picturing Dwayne the Rock Johnson. We should be picturing something a little bit more like Bilbo Baggins, okay? The last guy that we would anticipate God to call on this epic journey. But here we are, and, and here we're going to stay for several months and, and Genesis chapter 12 gives us the call and this incredible opening scene to the journey of Abraham. We're going to start our time this morning just by reading the text together. And so again, if you've got a Bible, follow along with me. And we're going to see, uh, we're going to start with just reading the Word of God together. Then we'll take some time to pray, and then we'll dive in and study it. So, says this in Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the, the land to the site of Shechem at the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and he built an altar to Yahweh there, and he called on the name of Yahweh. And then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. 
That's the text that we're going to uh, study and tackle together today. But before we do that, we need to lift our hearts up to the Lord and really humble ourselves before God. Okay, so I'm going to invite you to take just one minute here. It'll be a little bit brief this morning, but I'm going to invite you to take one minute and put your heads together with the neighbor and pray. Just lift up each other's hearts to the Lord and then pray that we would be humble as we should be before the Lord and his word. Okay, if you're newer with us and you're thinking this is a little scary to jump in the deep end and just pray with a random neighbor, feel free to just spend time praying in your seat with the Lord. But I would just encourage you, if you're able, if you're willing, go ahead and put your, your heads together with a neighbor. Take a minute and pray. Then I will jump in with everybody and pray for all of us. And then we'll be on our way studying the text. Okay? On your marks, get set, pray. Father, God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Christ is the fulfillment of the promises that you have given. God, I thank you that Christ is our Savior, the one who has accomplished the work of our salvation, God. Thank you that we enter into your presence, God, by the blood of Jesus. Thank you that we have your word, God, and through your word, we have you, Lord. We have, you have revealed yourself to us through your word, God, and by your word, you have proclaimed what is true, and, and God, I pray that you would help us this morning to be humble underneath you, Lord. God, lead us, teach us, convict us, God, shape us as we study this life of faith, this, this amazing life of faith that you called Abraham into, God. I pray that we would be really marked by the work that you accomplish, God, as we just faithfully follow you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I want to get right down to business today in Genesis chapter 12 because we have a lot of ground to cover and not that much time to cover it. And so we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12 today in the two parts that it's really delivered to us in. That is the awesome call and the amazing journey. In Genesis 12, we see this incredible call of God to Abraham and then 
we watch as Abraham actually embarks on the journey that God has called him on, the awesome call and the amazing journey. And it begins in Genesis chapter 12 first with this awesome call from God to Abraham. While Abraham was in the land of Ur, which is this moon-worshipping center, while he's in a family of moon-worshippers embedded in a land full of moon-worshippers, God calls to him, and he calls him out of all of that, and he says, you will worship me. You know, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And this is the way that this awesome, incredible call from God to Abraham was spoken to him through the word of God. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is the awesome call of God to Abraham that begins this entire journey. And I want to begin with making a statement about this call from God to Abraham. And, and we'll circle back later and deal with the importance of, of this statement. But I want us to understand, at, before we begin to make observations from this call, I want us first to understand Something about this statement, or about this call from God to Abraham. Okay, and so we'll make a statement, then we'll make some observations, and then we'll circle back and deal with this statement. But here's the statement. This call to Abraham, it is monumentally important to Christianity. This is what I want us to understand kind of in our purview as we move forward and make some observations about this call. This call to Abraham, it is hugely important to Christianity and really to all Christians, okay? And I think we'll see that, but we need to understand that in the background as we make a few observations. And there are three observations I want to point out about this call from God to Abraham. The first is this, God came to Abraham by his word. God came to Abraham by his word. That is to say, God showed himself to Abraham by speaking to him. This isn't just God transmitting information to Abraham. God is revealing himself to Abraham by his word. And you notice that God, he doesn't first give Abraham a vision. He doesn't show him something. He tells him something. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house. Three things that God is calling him away from, out of, to separate from, and to go where God tells him. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. All Abraham has to cling to is the bare word of God. This is his relationship with God at this point. It is through his word. God has revealed himself to Abraham through his word. He has spoken. He knew him by his word and really only by his bare word. And I think if we slow down, we recognize this actually is not an anomaly. 
that God reveals himself to people by his word. We know God. Really, in, in, in many ways, we know God as he reveals himself through his word. Okay? And that is because we cannot detach the presence of God from the word of God. In other words, as God speaks, there he is. When God spoke to Abraham, again, this is not just information transmitting. God himself came to Abraham and revealed himself by his word. And we remember in Genesis 12, 1, okay, this is important. It says that God spoke to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land. Now, that is literally what happened. But hundreds of years later, there's a man by the name of Stephen. And Stephen probably sounds familiar to some of you because he was one of the early followers of Christ in the church in Acts. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen He is recounting what happened back at that call of Abraham. And he's preaching to a very hostile crowd of Jews who want to kill him. And Stephen says this about the call of Abraham. He says, brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran. Back in the land of Ur, when Abram received this call, Stephen says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham before he settled in Haran. And he said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. He is quoting our passage here in Genesis 12. The God of glory appeared to Abraham, but how did he appear to Abraham? By his word. He spoke. We don't detach God from his word. God came to Abraham by his word. And again, this is not an anomaly. This is instead how God often chooses to reveal himself to human beings. And it's also how God even reveals himself in the scriptures. We look at Psalm 33, verse 6. And I want you to think about this in light of what we have recently studied in Genesis. It says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Now that's an interesting commentary, because what did we find out in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So which was it? God or his word? Yes. We, we don't detach the presence of God from his word. Peter, he writes to believers in 1 Peter 1, Since you've purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so you show brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, who is it that does the work of salvation in the heart of human beings? Is it God or is it his word? Yes. We don't detach the presence of God from the word of God. And we see first and foremost in Genesis 12 that God, he came to Abraham by his word. His powerful word. Now, observation number two is this. I want you to notice that in this call to Abraham, there is only one command. There is only one command. And here is the singular command that God gives to Abraham. 
It's right here in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God, he gives Abraham just one command. Go where I tell you. Follow me. Come out from your old life. Separate from what? Your land, your relatives, and then he gets even more, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. And that command to go, to follow where God leads, that should be very familiar to us, okay? Because really, as believers, every single one of us is called to go. That is the command of Christ to God's people. That is always the command. From start to finish, biblically speaking, the call to follow God is always a call to go. Now, does that mean necessarily that every single person just needs to like physically pick up their things and move from one place to a different place? No, not necessarily. But I would say normatively speaking, because we serve a God who has commanded us to go, who has a global gospel that we find ourselves a part of, and a global church that he has called us into, what is normative in the Christian life is to go places through the gospel that you would never have imagined going had it not been for the command of Christ on your life to go. Where do we see this command? Well, you know, what did Jesus say in Mark 8? Mark 8, Jesus, he, he calls the crowd and he says, If anyone wants to follow after me, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Come with me. Go where I'm going. Leave behind your old life. Separate from your old life. You know, many people, they never come to Christ because they are unwilling to lay aside their old life and come after Jesus Christ. He's calling us to separate out of our old life into a life of faith following him, going where he is going. It's a call to go. What about Matthew 28? Jesus, this is the Great Commission. Jesus is summarizing. So Jesus, he, he spells out the glorious mission of this church who he is building, which will not, the gates of Hades will not prevail against. It's a glorious vision of the church, and he gives it qualifiers through the Great Commission. He says, do you know how the church is going to be built? Do you know how the church is going to glorify God for all of eternity, displaying and declaring the glory of God at the throne of God forever? This is how you go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The call to follow God, the life of faith, is always a call to go. We are to be goers. Leaving behind our old life. Following Christ on the adventurous life of faith that he calls us into. God had one command for Abraham. 
to go. And as Abraham goes on this life of faith, God promises Abraham all kinds of I wills. Okay, that is the third thing I want us to see in this call. It is full of I wills from God. God gives Abraham many promises. He had one command, and he gave many promises. God gives Abraham all kinds of promises about the work that he will accomplish. And remember, God's command to Abraham was this, just go. You just go. And I will do the work. I will work through you. He says this in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. If you're keeping track, that's seven promises from God. If you pay attention to numbers in the Bible, you can read into that as much as you want. But God, he delivers these promises to Abraham. He says, I, I will accomplish incredible, mighty, wonderful things through you. You just go. Just go. Just follow me. I will do the work. That's the promise of God. And, and it's clear as, as we observe this. It's not Abraham who is going to save the world. It is not Abraham who needs to do this mighty work. Instead, it's God himself. And Abraham's job is simply to obey, to follow in faith. This is a work of God. And it's a mighty work of God. And it's a mighty work of God that has great far-reaching impacts to you into me, okay? Just to circle back to what we said at the very beginning, we made a statement about this call to Abraham. We said what? This call is monumentally important to all Christianity and really to all Christians. Now the question we need to consider is why? Why is this a big deal? This call given to Abraham, see, Abraham lived thousands of years ago, he received this call. How does that impact you and me? And, and I think if you were to try to convince me, hey, this is really important for the Jews, I could go with you on that. But what we need to understand is, wait a minute, why does this call matter so much in all of Christianity to every single believer in Christ? Well, here's why. The Apostle Paul he preached Christ to the Gentiles, standing on this passage, on this promise, as the promise of Christ to the Gentile world. For those of us who are not ethnic Jews, it's incredibly important to, to see this. Paul, he preached Christ. He preached the message of salvation for sinners through faith in Christ, standing on this passage in Genesis 12 as the promise of Christ to the Gentile world. And that means for you and me two huge things. Number one, think about this. We are included in God's plan of saving sinners all the way back here in Genesis 12. See, the, the, God's plan to save people from all nations, all over the earth. That was not just a backup plan. That was not something that just God came up with on the fly. 
This was in the heart and the mind of God all along from the very beginning. God's promise to bless all peoples through Abraham, it is a promise that means you and I are included in the plan of God to save sinners through Jesus Christ. Second, this is very important for you and me because of this. The reason that we know the message of the gospel. So the message of the gospel that that God saves sinners through the death and resurrection of Christ. The reason we know that is because the gospel has penetrated our culture and our language. We have ears to hear a message that is actually proclaimed. The gospel has penetrated the world, has penetrated our culture and our time in our language so that we can actually understand the truth of how God saves sinners like you and me, okay? Now, how did that message penetrate our culture, our language, our time? I would argue in large part because of the work of Paul to proclaim the gospel and really set the model, the example, the template for what it looks like for a global gospel to be spread throughout the globe. And the Apostle Paul, he probably had a greater impact on the global spread of the gospel than any other human being to walk on the planet. And a huge reason why Paul preached Christ the way that he did, traveling from town to town, country to country, spreading the message of the gospel, which ultimately has found its way here in our time, in our language. A big reason why he did is because of this passage right here in Genesis chapter 12. How do we know that? Because he told us that. In Galatians chapter 3. Okay, I want you to pay attention. We preached Galatians a couple of years ago in the church. I want us to pay close attention here to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 7. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Paul builds this case out in Romans 4 if you want a passage to look at. He's building the case that it, it is Abraham himself who is the father of all who find themselves in Christ through faith. Okay, and he says this. Now the scripture saw in advance notice first of all just that anthropomorphic language he he's placing the scriptures themselves as though it is god himself like the very eyes in the presence of god okay the scripture saw in advance that god would justify the gentiles by faith meaning the non-jews he's saying the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that he would bring them into righteous relationship with him by faith. And he proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abram, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. He quotes Genesis chapter 12. He quotes our passage in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, through this, God preached the global gospel to Abraham. Do you know what you have in Genesis chapter 12? This is God preaching the gospel of Christ to Abraham. This is God proclaiming the world, the Gentile world, all nations, all peoples. They are included in my plan of salvation through the Savior that he promised in Genesis chapter 3. This is God preaching the global gospel. 
to Abraham. John chapter 5, Jesus, he's debating the religious leaders of the Jews. He says, you pour over the scriptures, you pour over the word of God, because you think that you have eternal life in the scriptures, and yet they testify about me. Jesus says, the scriptures, they testify about me. You know what he was talking about there? Was he, was he talking about the New Testament? No. He's talking to the religious leaders, and all that they have at the time is the Old Testament. And he's pointing them to the Old Testament. He says, hey, that book that you pour over, you memorize, you obsess about, that is the book that preaches about me, about Christ. In verse 46, he says, for if you believed Moses, the author of Genesis, if you believed Moses, well, then you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. And I think Jesus, at least in part, is talking about right here in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is God preaching the gospel of Christ to Abraham. In John chapter 8, Jesus is again debating the religious leaders. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham understood the call of God, full of promises from God, global promises from God. He understood to some degree this is God's promise of salvation through the Savior that was promised all the way back in Genesis 3. Abraham understood this isn't just a promise from me. It is a promise that will ultimately be fulfilled in the Savior. That's why this call is so important to Christianity. It, it is the global gospel preached to our forefather in the faith, Abraham. And it moved the Apostle Paul. It moved the gospel of Christ out into the world because he understood and many believers after him have understood this gospel is not to be held onto it is to be declared and proclaimed among every corner of the world that the world may know God has a plan for salvation of sinners and that plan is Christ and after receiving this awesome call Abraham, he doesn't just sit still and ignore it. If he did that, he would not be the forefather of faith. Instead, Abraham, he sets out on this amazing epic journey that God has called him on to. That's the second half of this passage. It's the opening scene of the amazing journey. And I want us first just to walk through this together. We're going to walk slow and steady through the scriptures, seeing the journey that Abraham begins to take from the call of God. Okay, and then we're going to draw some conclusions, and we're going to have some practical applications for the day. But first, I want us just to walk through this opening scene of the journey. It says, so Abram went. He obeyed God's call to go. Remember, he had one command, one job. Abram, just go. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Remember, they had settled in Haran. They had started this journey all the way back in Ur, and now they've arrived 550 miles later in Haran. And then he's 75 years old. They pick up, and they leave Haran and continue on their way. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and then pay attention to this, and the people he had acquired in Haran. Okay, 
I don't want us to presume that that Abraham has like arrived in Haran and then like purchased slaves. That's not likely what is actually going on here. Instead, what seems most likely is that Abraham, he had received the call of God. He had moved with his family as far as Haran at this point. And while they're there, Abraham, it seems, was proclaiming the message that he had received. And there are people that have now joined them in this journey. So they had, uh, people had, they, they had acquired people in their group. And now they have set out from Haran for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Just pause here for one second. The Canaanites, remember, they're the cursed line of Noah's sons. Okay? Abram, he's part of the blessed line of Noah's sons. The Canaanites are the cursed line. And, and I just want us to understand a little bit of the drama, the tension that, that is set here. The opposition that Abram faces as he enters into the land. This is not like friendly territory. So when you're like the blessed child and someone is the cursed child, that doesn't go well. Like that's a great recipe for family drama. If, if any of you uh, are in either of that, those sets of shoes, you, you know there's a little bit of tension there, okay? And so there's already, there's already opposition just in Canaan being in the land itself. But when it says that he passes through at the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh, you need to realize this is a place where there would have been lots of like mystical oracles being given at the Oak of Moreh, soothsayers giving these weird oracles, and they're not worshiping God. Okay, so Abram's coming bringing a message that stands in opposition to the message of the dead. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to them. He stands up the message of God through this altar in the midst of opposition. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And your ears might have perked up there. Wait a minute, the east. We've been talking about this. Some, cue the ominous music, right? Yes. It's just going to take us a couple chapters to get there, okay? There, there's just a little bit of drama starting to brew. Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. And I want you to keep this in mind as we ultimately arrive at Abram and Lot picking where they're going to go, okay? But for today, the scene is just set. He builds an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of Yahweh, and then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. That begins the opening scene of this epic journey that God calls Abraham on to. And as we close our time together this morning, what I want to do is take this passage and just draw for us several conclusions about the life of faith that we can develop as we look at this text. Okay? Abraham, Sarah, Lot, they're just getting started, but there are several things that we can infer about the life of faith through this passage. And so as we close our time together, I want us take some time and to see the practical applications 
from Genesis chapter 12. I believe there are many, but I'm going to give you four. And we're going to frame these as demands of the life of faith that we see through our text in Genesis chapter 12. Number one is this. The life of faith demands that we are rooted in the word of God. The life of faith demands that we are actually rooted in the word of God. Where did this amazing journey begin? It began with the word of God. By hearing, Abraham believed, and so he went. The life of faith is rooted in the word of God. Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. There's no different for Abraham. In order to live the life of faith, we need the word of God to shine light upon the life that God is calling us into. The word of God explains the life of faith that God has called us onto. And this isn't just where the life of faith begins, okay? The, the, the word of God, that's not just where the life of faith begins. It is the entire journey is shaped by, instructed by, informed by God through his word. See, the life of faith, without the word of God, the life of faith would be incredibly ambiguous. What would it mean to follow God if you didn't have his word? How would you know what God is asking you to do or where he's calling you? How would you know what is good or what is bad, what is right, what is wrong? How would we understand without the word of God? How would we know what God is doing without his promises? You see, life isn't just obvious. Like you don't just step out into the world and it's just so evident and so obvious how God is faithfully at work redeeming people and, and, and moving forward in his plan of salvation. It's not always evident, but it's God's word that supplies us with truth. And by faith, we cling to that bare word of God. We are to be rooted in God's word. Second Timothy 3 says, all scripture, notice this, all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable, meaning it is really good for teaching. That means God's word spells out the life of faith for us like a path. It lays it out for us. And it's profitable for rebuking. What does that mean? Well, if you've followed Christ for very long, you know that we tend to stray. We tend to get off of the path. And God's word is what chastises us, what rebukes us when we stray from the path. God's word is very helpful for rebuking us when we go stray. But it's also God's word that brings us back onto the path of life, correcting us. God's word is profitable for correcting. That means that God's word tells us, like, how do we get from our sin, where we've made a mess out of things, back to the path of life? God's word corrects us, and God's word is profitable for training in righteousness. That means that God's word is really good at teaching us how to continue on the path after he has put us back on the path through his word. And ultimately, God's word equips us that we would be complete for every good work. God desires that men and women would be complete and mature in this walk of faith. And it's God's word that equips us for that, that teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in the path of faith. Now, 
the question I want you to think about is this. What is your relationship like with your Bible? Is it dusty? Is it important to you? Do you cherish the Word of God? What is your relationship like with your Bible? You know, I've just recently started a little bit of a, a habit where in the morning I wake up and just recite out loud a handful of passages that have been very impactful and inspiring to me over the years. And, and just in communicating out loud the actual Word of God, I am not learning new information. Okay, that's not the point. But it is so convicting and helpful and encouraging and inspiring to just communicate, to express, to say the word of God. There's great power in God's word. And the life of faith demands that we are rooted in the word of God. Here's a good rule of thumb for you. If you are not making an effort, if you are not making an effort to be in God's word every day, it is very unlikely that you are actually rooted in the Word of God. Because it's one thing to know God's Word, to know God's promise. I know it. Yeah, I know what it says. I know that it's good. It's one thing to know that. It's a different thing to be confronted by the Word of God in reality, day after day. It'll shape you. It'll change you. Number two, the life of faith demands that we obey the call to go. The life of faith demands that we actually obey God's call to go. Jesus is not messing around. When he says go, therefore, and make disciples, he means it. When Abraham called, or when God called Abraham and said, go to the land that I will show you, he means it. He means business. Something to consider is this. If you are walking in faith, are you going and making disciples? Are you involved in, in this global gospel as, as a part of Christ's global church? Are you involved in the work of God to see his gospel pro proclaimed in every corner of the world? To see his every command actually obeyed? And if not every corner of the world, how about just this corner of the world? Are you going and making disciples? And have you honestly separated from your old life? Because again, many people, they know the message of the gospel. Many people, especially in our culture, they know the message of the gospel, but they're unwilling to step out of their old life into a life of radical faith following Have you left behind whatever it is that holds you back from picking up your cross and following Christ? And you see, faith is either active or it's dead. That's what James teaches us. Faith is either producing obedience or it is not faith at all. Faith demands that we obey the call of God. And we follow Jesus Third, the life of faith demands that we stand against opposition. See, God calls Abraham into the land of Canaan full of much opposition, full of mysticism and false worship, and full of family drama. 
the blessed son called into the land of the cursed son to take his territory. And we will see Abram facing much opposition. A life of faith always demands that we stand against opposition, to stand against opposition and bring glory to God as we do so. Jesus, he tells us in Matthew 10, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. This is how Jesus positions believers. He said, I'm going to send you out like little sweet innocent sheep into a den of ravaging wolves. That's what I'm going to do. This is my plan. I will send you into hostile territory to stand upon the name of Christ, to proclaim the name of Christ among peoples who do not yet know or worship him. And he tells them as he sends them, just in case they don't realize how it's going to turn out when sheep are sent out among wolves, he says, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Yeah, it's not going to go great all the time. There will be opposition when you stand on the name of Christ. There will be opposition, but the life of faith demands we stand against opposition. And the life of faith demands that we do it boldly and yet humbly. Boldly, yet humbly. And you need to hear the second part. In a world that is full of opposition to the name of Christ, to the exclusivity of Christ, and to the commands of Christ. In order for you to represent Jesus, you must stand against opposition. The question for you to consider is this. Where do you need to begin to stand against opposition? And stand upon the name of Christ. Fourthly, lastly, is this. The life of faith demands that we endure in every stage. The life of faith demands that we endure in every stage. Here's what I want us to see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 9. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Do you know the life of faith doesn't happen in a day? We don't just snap our fingers and boom, done. The life of faith, just like Rome, it, it, is, it was not built in a day, okay? The life of faith is a journey that has many twists and turns stages and seasons and we need to be faithful in every single stage in every single season that we walk with endurance and faithfulness and obedience to god through every stage abraham receives this incredible call what we're going to see over the next several months is that the the journey of abraham it is full of so many twists and turns and at times you would think to yourself there's no way that god is at work through this to accomplish all that he promised in genesis chapter 12 but he is it is a twisting and turning journey full of seasons and stages. So here's a question I want you to consider. What stage of the journey are you in? What stage of the journey are you in? And what does it look like for you to be faithful in this stage of the journey of the life of faith? And are you giving your very best to actually walk in faithful obedience at this stage of the journey. The life of faith demands that we endure in faithfulness through every stage. And maybe something God would have you consider today, this week, this month, whatever it would be, is this. What would it look like for you to walk in faithful obedience to the call of God? What would it look like in this stage of your faith journey, knowing that God demands you be rooted in his word, knowing that God demands that you go 
and follow him, knowing that God demands that you courageously stand in the midst of opposition. In light of all of that, what would it look like for you to walk in faithfulness on this stage of the journey in a life of faith? That's what I want you to think about this week. And we need to close our time this morning, and we're going to do that with a couple of things together. First, we're going to take communion together, and then we're going to celebrate a baptism, and then we're going to sing. We're going to sing to one another and to God. But when it comes to communion, we're going to take a few minutes here and, and remember Christ through communion. But this is so important. Hear this. See, when we're talking about the life of faith, you know what I have a tendency to do? Either beat myself up or beat my chest in pride. Okay? To turn inward, to beat myself up or to beat my chest in pride. And it just kind of depends on how the day is going. But that is not what we are to do as we, as we think about, as we talk about the life of faith. Instead, the life of faith, it ought to turn our eyes to Christ. And in communion... What we need to remember is that Jesus has accomplished the work. Remember, God had one command for Abraham. Go, I will accomplish the work. This life of faith that God is calling us on, he says go, and I will accomplish the work. And he has accomplished the work through Christ on the cross. And Jesus gave us these physical elements, the bread and the cup. They're in, under the seat in front of you. You can go ahead and grab those now, okay? The, the cup representing his blood poured out for, for us. The bread on top of the cup representing his body, which is actually broken and given for us. It is this great, powerful reminder that fixes our eyes where they ought to be squarely upon Christ and the work of Jesus on the cross. Lest we hear about the life of faith and beat ourselves up or beat our chests in pride. See, the, the cross of Christ is designed by God to humble all of us. We realize we're in this race, we're in this journey of faith only by the work of Christ, by the blood and the body of Christ. And so we're going to take a few minutes here just communing with one another. If you're a believer, I invite you to join us as we take communion and proclaim the work of Christ to one another. If you are not a believer, do not take communion with us. Don't do it. God says you heap judgment upon yourself when you take communion inappropriately. If you are not a believer in Christ, do not join us in communion, but instead wrestle with God. Contemplate the work of Christ on the cross. And our prayer, our hope, is that one day you would commune with us through the body and the blood of Jesus by faith. Okay, so we're going to take a few minutes here in communion, then we'll have a baptism, and we'll close with some songs. Let me pray just to get us moving in our time of communion. God, we thank you, Lord, for the work of Christ. It is by your own glorious work that we stand forgiven and healed, reconciled and redeemed in Jesus Christ. May this time of communion be a blessing, a powerful time of fellowship with you, God, a transformative power, uh, transformative time of fellowship with you, God. And we pray it all in Jesus' holy and precious name.
Alrighty, well, good morning, everyone. Um, in case you haven't noticed the baptistry here, uh, we do have a, uh, a baptism to witness this morning. And at Walnut Creek, we typically um, have baptisms the last uh, weekend of the month. And if you are a Christian and have not been baptized, we would encourage you to, to follow Christ's command and, and be baptized. Um, if you have any questions about baptism, feel free to talk to one of the pastors. We'd be happy to, to try to help out. You know, baptism is the sign of the new covenant externally uniting us by faith into the redeemed church of God. Baptism also signifies our adoption and new life in Christ and our cleansing from sin. So at this time, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read a little bit of Oliver's uh, testimony, and then we'll go ahead with the baptism. All right, here we go. So my name is Oliver Glantz. I was born and raised in Florida. Uh, I was born into a, a Christian family, went to church every Sunday. I also attended Christian school where I heard stories from the Bible and, and heard the gospel preached every week. But despite uh, being exposed to God's word, I did not understand the gospel, and I did not have a relationship with Jesus. My life was consumed with thoughts of myself and what others thought of me. I lived a life of secret sin, knowing what I was doing was wrong, but believing God could not forgive me for what I had done. When I was 21, I moved to Des Moines to attend Drake University, where I got connected with Campus Fellowship. The love these people had for the lost and for God was unlike anything I had ever seen before, and God used many people to help me understand God's word and his character. One of the most important things God taught me was his desire to be reconciled to his creation. God's holiness cannot tolerate the presence of my sin, and the, but the atoning work of Jesus Christ makes fellowship and a relationship with God possible. In recognition of Jesus Christ as God and, and the king of my life, I want to do everything he has commanded, including to be baptized. I want to publicly identify myself with Jesus and honor his life, death, death and resurrection, which baptism symbolizes. If you'd like to, to hear more about my story and the amazing work uh, Jesus has done in my life, I would love to talk with you and share more. 